For our scripture reading today, we have two passages. The first is Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 to 8, and the second is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Uh, for both passages, I will be reading from the English Standard Version. And first, I'll read Genesis chapter 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The next passage, 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is the Word of God. All right. Um... Good afternoon. I'm getting closer to you guys because I try to move you guys up. You guys are moving up, so I'm going to get closer. I told the team, I'm moving closer and closer. Next time, I'll be right there, guys. I don't know why you guys are all sitting in the back. COVID is, is, is winding down, guys. Um, it's okay. You know what? I'm a, I'm a parent caster, pa- caring pastor, so I'll move towards you guys. Um, all right, so we here at King's Cross, if you're, if you're new, we celebrate the tradition of Advent every year. And we do that, yes, as part of a tradition, but also to really remember different aspects of Advent. So we uh, did spoke on hope. Pastor John did that first Sunday. Uh, I spoke on the theme of peace. And last week, Pastor Charles did a wonderful job of speaking about joy. Pa- not Pastor Charles, Elder Charles. Maybe, maybe in the future. <laughs> Yuna's like, no. And let me light uh, the candle of, uh, candle of love. And then we'll light this candle of Christ next week. So we're talking about love. Everyone say love. Everyone say love. Um, a few years ago, there was an article by Time Magazine. Everyone know Time Magazine? Titled, We Are Defining Love the Wrong Way. The article argues, the author... Uh, he, he's, he's written many books on, on, on love and relationships. The article argues that our current common definition of love, which is often known as an intense feeling of deep affection. Remember, remember middle school or elementary school or high school, you, 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 you saw that person, you fell in love, deep infect, uh, affection. That's how we, uh, the modern world, we define love. But the author, the article, and the author, author in the article argues that's probably not the most accurate way to de- define love if you look at love in totality. So, so the writer argues that after spending uh, many years talking to people uh, that were in, in marriage for many years, during, before, and after, 
Uh, the author is convinced that love should not be merely seen as a feeling, but really as an enacted emotion. We, we know this, right? Love, for, for, you can't just tell somebody, I can't just tell Lois I love you and not wake up and, and, and take care of the kids and, and really do things for her so that she could get rest. Lois can't tell me she loves me and, 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 and not do anything to really provide for the space to be able, for me to feel loved. To love is to feel and act lovingly, not simply emotional passion. And we know this. All of us know this. A husband or wife cannot repeatedly abuse their spouse verbally or physically and tell them they love them. The, the word love hides the truth. They may have a very strong feelings about their spouse who they abuse. You may, they may even believe they cannot live without them but we know they do not love them. In Fiddler on the Roof, a famous play, uh, one of the characters, TV, asks, the father asks Gordy, his wife, they've been married for a quarter century. And, and, and he, he, he looks at, this is a very cute scene where he looks at his, his, his wife and says, Gordy, do, do you love me? And, and, and Gordy pauses for a second in shock, like, my husband, I, I gave him all these daughters, I did all these things for him, and he's going to ask me if I love him? Um, and she says, for 25 years, I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned the house, given your children, milked your cow. Very romantic. She asks then, if that's not love, what is? So this idea of love simply being emotion doesn't really work. In a much significant way, we see in our passage, 1 John, verse 4 to 9, uh, verse 9b, it's the writer, John, says very clearly, God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. When we say God is love, the writer of the first John says, well, look, look at what God did for you. Look at what God sacrificed for you. Look at the action behind those words. Verse 10 First John 4, it continues, this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be ransom, propitiation for our sins. So again, love is this enacted emotion. And, and so in order to gain a greater appreciation and greater understanding of the love of God that John is talking about in 1 John chapter 4, we really have to rewind the story to the first passage, Genesis 6. You see the familiar Advent scene of a baby in the manger. You know, you, you see that, right? Decorations, Pekajam, all these places. Baby in a manger is not the beginning of the story. If you think about our story, story of humanity, but it's, it's actually rather the middle, the climax. And we all love movies. We all love climaxes of, of stories and movies. But if we really want to appreciate the climax in its brilliance, we got to start from the beginning. We got to see the whole movie. The opening scene of movie Up. If you have not seen movie Up, this is not just kids' movie. This is just beautiful story. The openings in the first 10 minutes, many people would say it's one of the most cinematic brilliance, uh, last 25 years. Uh, in the movie, Carl, the, the old man, 
they, they, they rewind the story, and Carl, then a shy young boy, having an unexpected life-changing encounter with this joyful little girl named Ellie, his, his wife. And Ellie talks a mile a minute, totally different from Carl. Carl's a shy guy, can't say much. Ellie talks a mile a minute about her dream of living in South America, right? About her, her, this idea of moving to the wilderness and experiencing this beauty about balloons, and the camera flashes if you watch the beginning of the movie up. And we're transported years, years into the future. Carl and Ellie's wedding. And the life they share together before Ellie passes. Just beautiful. You, 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 you don't appreciate your spouse today? Watch this. If you, don't, if you don't feel like you can forgive your spouse for something, watch 10 minutes of up. And you, you, you'll be crying. I mean, every time I watch it, I'm just like, what a beautiful way to describe Love between a man and a woman. And many experts, again, have said it's probably one of the most moving film sequences of all time. Not just kids for kids, but for, for everyone. But if we miss that brilliant, very brilliant beginning, first 10 minutes of the movie up, you wouldn't really understand why this old grumpy man, Carl, will do everything. He, he can't even walk. He can't even buy a plane ticket. He, he's... he's Got to go to the retirement home because he's in this lawsuit. I'm not going to give away the movie. But, but he will do everything under his power to make this impossible journey to the South American wilderness. Because this was what Ellie had always wanted. And that was what made this crazy journey of tying his house to you know, thousands of balloons. A kid in, in it and, and the whole story. Such an amazing journey. And the journey so worth it for this old grumpy man, Carl. And, and in a much more significant way, right, we see this movie up and it moves us, inspires us. In a much more significant way, the baby in the manger, again, is not the beginning of our story. So Genesis 6, if you have your Bibles, we'll turn there and we'll, we'll, we'll walk through this story. It says, the, the Lord saw the wickedness of men was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. And verse 6, part, part 2, it says, It grieved God to his heart. You see, the story of Christmas, the baby in the manger, finds its beginning, its origin in the broken heart of God. The birth of a baby in a manger is rooted in God's grief for humanity. The writer of Genesis in, in chapter 4, verse 6, tells us the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth and grieved, to, grieved him to his heart. Can you imagine? I mean, as, as um, Daniel was reading this, I was just like, every time I read this passage, it sort of takes me back to see that God grieved. This idea of creator, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-able, all-sovereign God would grieve. Probably one of the most shocking statements, not just in the book of Genesis, but in all of Scripture. But friends, what does it mean that God grieved, that men grieved God? Again, notice the writer of Genesis doesn't say in, in chapter 6, doesn't say the wickedness of men annoyed God. It doesn't say it frustrated God in his plans. No, it's far more painful. Grief was what was in God's heart. You see, the word grief in its original context, the original word in Hebrew, is this word atzab. Everyone say atzab. 
Atzab sounds like a Korean name. Atzab, which literally means to torment, to be tormented, to be heartbroken over relationship. Atzab is completely a relational word. It's only used in a relationship context. And we too have experienced grief. All of us, if you live life enough, we, we, we have grieved. We've grieved perhaps a failed marriage for some of us. We've grieved a failed pregnancy, a loss of an unborn, unborn child, a betrayal from someone you've once trusted, someone you loved. And, and the author of Genesis tells us that's what God felt, seeing people continue to do terrible things to one another and continue to do evil. Verse 5 says, The Lord saw that wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, totally broke God's heart. We, we, we think about this. We think God has this angry grandfather up in throne room of heaven, ready to zap us when we sin. No, really, what broke God, God's heart is that he, he, he created us out of his love. And he created us as agents of shalom, agents of love and generosity to be good stewards. But he, all he sees from his place is people killing each other, people stealing from each other, people being greedy, people doing unimaginable things to each other. You know, like I, I just sat down with an organization called IJM, International Justice Missions, and and this Monday, they invited some pastors, and we just chatted because they have an office in Seoul now. And they're sharing these stories of, 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 of people doing, un, like, just, like, I just got upset. These terrible things in, in Cambodia, in Philippines. Now I, I heard this, this whole thing about these kids are now forced to be online on Zoom and they're forced to do all these things and people pay money for that and, and South Korea is a big part of that business and I'm just like, what? As a, as a father of two daughters, I'm just like, I want to go find these guys and just, you know, just it just makes me so upset and I just imagine God because he's desired. if you look at Genesis earlier in Genesis, God created us to be his agent of shalom and love and generosity. And, and, and he wanted us to be good fathers and good, good husbands and good wives and good mothers and good people. And he sees, all he sees is that people just continue to do evil. And so God grieved. Right? The author of Genesis records a wonderful account of God creating the world. God spoke and the world came to be. He spoke light into darkness. He spoke land out of water. And God created you and I to be agents of shalom. We talked about this when we talked about peace a couple of weeks ago. Yet, only violence and hatred and greed grew among humanity. That's what Genesis 6 tells us. That God created us to live in Him and live for Him and live in this wonderful relationship with Him as, as His agents. Augustine said it the best. He says, Our heart is restless until it rests in you, that you have made us for yourself. That Augustine argues that God has made us for Himself. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. So when we don't choose to rest in God, which is a lot harder than to say, the result of our, 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 our 
inability to rest in God is that we become restlessness. Everyone restless this morning? Anyone want to check your phone? Want to get work done? You got things to do. You got meetings to, to attend this week. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve became restless, right? So Genesis is really interesting. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, things are going well. God is creating the world. People are in it. There are animals. There's water. There's sun. There's beauty. And then all of a sudden, Adam and Eve becomes restless in chapter 3 when they hear from the serpent. The serpent tells them, you think this is good? Well, if you choose, if you take the fruit that God told you not to take, life can be better. You can actually be your own gods. You can be equal to God. So instead of trusting in God and his provision at that moment in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve became restless because in their heart they're like, maybe life is better. Maybe I can be equal to God. Maybe I can live my own life with my own rules and make life up for myself. So instead of trusting God and and his provision for life, We know the story. They take matters into their own hands. And the decision to take the fruit that God told them not to take. All the other fruit they could have had. All the other things they could have had access to. And God says, one thing. Don't take this fruit. They take it. And that brings this great division between God and humanity. So friends, really, simply, if you boil down the Old Testament, the root of all of our human struggles and sin is that we are living outside of this loving relationship with God. Not recognizing that God has made us for himself. Choosing to live outside of this loving relationship that God has created for you and I. I do that. I step out of that loving relationship. Even though I'm in Christ, I've been saved. Sometimes I'm like, maybe my way is better. Maybe my plans are better. Maybe I can outsmart God. And this is why when Jesus was asked to sum up the Old Testament, a a, a smart guy approaches Jesus in, in, in the Gospel of Matthew 22 and asks Jesus, Jesus, I can't read all the laws. Just tell me. Tell me, how can you sum up the law? What is the all these laws about? Tell me one rule. He says, point me to the most important rule of life. And Jesus replies in Matthew 22, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the rule of life. Notice Jesus doesn't say, when that, when that lawyer, that guy came to Jesus and said, Jesus, sum up the scripture for me. He doesn't say, don't be proud. Don't ask dumb questions. Don't be greedy. Don't cheat on your spouse. Don't steal. Don't gossip. He doesn't say any of these things. Instead, he says the most important rule of life. If I could sum up the Old Testament, its laws in one sentence, is to live in right relationship with God. Because when we live in the right relationship with God, when we are living in the right relationship with God, everything else will fall in its place. Friends, we cannot be in a loving relationship with God who is merciful and generous and continue to hoard all things for ourselves. You cannot be in a relationship with God who is wholeheartedly committed to us 
and continue to live with divided hearts. You cannot be in a relationship with God of mercy and grace and continue to live your life with bitterness and anger, unwilling to forgive those who have hurt you when you have been forgiven. I mean, why did Adam and Eve take the fruit? Why did Cain murder his own brother? Why did Israelites continue to disobey when God told them again and again, if you follow me, if your heart is after me, you're going to be fine. Why do you and I have unhealthy relationship with money? Unhealthy relationship with sex and food or something else? Why are we addicted to our screens, addicted to work, addicted to our ideas of success? Why do we have so much? Why do we have so much? This is, this is really what I thought about. Why do we have so much? Yet we often feel like we don't have enough. See, all those things are not the root issue but they're mere symptoms of a much deeper problem. So what's the root issue? When you boil down our struggles, our addictions, our unhealthy boundaries with things, it's that we don't truly understand the depth and the quality of God's love for each of us. And because we can't grasp and truly believe in God's love for us, we restlessly look for other things to give us meaning and significance. I mean, this is, you've heard this. If you grew up in the church, I'm not telling you anything new, but this is true. We restlessly look for other things to give us meaning and significance. And all of our harmful behaviors are really a mere reflection of problem deep within Again, Genesis 6, verse 5, every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. The writer does not say, notice the writer does not say that every person's actions were flawed. Ideas were wrong. Behaviors were unacceptable. No. The author says it's our hearts. So, friends, we don't need a new set of rules. We don't need new perspective or new therapist or new method, or new book, or new idea, what we need is actually new heart. That's the problem. And this means, friends, my sin problem, your sin problem, isn't simply that we have a bad temper, bad perspective, not so great parenting, a terrible work environment, or something else. Those things may be true, and those things may have affected us. Yet the greater problem is that every sin, every lie, every cursing, every gossip, every moment of self-centeredness are direct reflection of what lies in each of us. Again, yes, how we have been raised by our parents or other traumas that we have experienced, they do impact us. They do affect us. I could see it. I could see Eleanor driving us crazy. Guess what? Who Eleanor is? Eleanor is little Sangmin. I was just like, oh my goodness, it's true. Even the most difficult experiences of life are not the whole picture. Because the temptation is to say, well, if my parents were better parents, 
if I just grew up in a better environment, if I was not this, if I did not experience this, if I could have had this, I wouldn't be who I am. But friends, we must come to grips with a sobering reality of heart that no longer works as it should. That's not just me. That's not just you. That's all of us. That's what the scripture is talking about in Genesis 6. So this means whenever I lose it and start screaming at my daughter who's three and a half, my heart lies to me and says, Simon, you had no other choice. She made you do it. Whenever I feel offended by someone driving, someone cuts me off, I park my car and this actress comes out and starts yelling at me for no reason. Happens a lot to me. I don't know why. I want to believe it's not me. When I, when I fight back and yell back and start screaming like a Korean Ajushi, I want to believe it's not me. It's that Ajushi or it's them. It's my boss. It's my wife. It's my daughter. It's my friend. It's my coworker. And we say things like we tell ourselves, only if my husband or my wife was more kind, was more understanding, was more patient, only if my boss was not so demanding, only if my coworkers were better at their job, only if my parents were better human beings. Friends, the most damaging lie that we continue to buy is to believe that our sins, our lying, our cheating, our gossiping, our greed, they are situational and occasional. But the scripture is clear. Genesis 6 is clear. It tells us that our sins are not situational or occasional. In fact, every sin, every lie, every cursing, every gossip, every moment of self-centeredness are mere reflection of what lies in each of our hearts. You're like, I'm not coming back to this church. But I have good news. Before that, the verse 5, the word for heart in Hebrew is the word love. And we'll say love. It's almost like love. Love. Which is, which is this idea, it's this in, in, in the Jewish culture, love is this sort of a control center for every word, every action, every decision. And since our root problem is, is, is that we all have flawed hearts, flawed control center, what we need, again, is not new rules or ideas or environments or habits or new parents or new marriage. Some of us could do that on our own. We don't need God for that. But one thing that we cannot do is heal and mend our hearts. Here's Kanye West, the, the great modern-day poet. He says in his song, we are at war with terrorism, racism, right? Talks about the problems in America. But most of all, we are at war with ourselves. And if Kanye is right, I think he's wrong for many things, but I think he's right about this. And if he's right, that means you and I need to be rescued, uh, you know, rescued from none other than ourselves. And thank goodness for verse 8, Genesis 6. It says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You see, at that moment, God could have wiped out humanity and shut this whole thing down. Project Humanity, shut it down. Bad idea. But then that was never the plan. God knew how things were going to be played out the moment he breathed his own breath into nostrils of Adam and Eve. He knew this wasn't going to be a smooth ride. But he always had a plan 
from Noah to Abraham to David, God continue to promise his people that one day a Savior will come. One day greater David will come. One day greater Moses will come. One day greater Esther will come. And that promise came to full fruition through the arrival of this baby in a manger in the city of Bethlehem. Friends, this is the gospel, and this is where things get good. I know it's been bad, bad, worse. You're like, oh, why am I here? This is the gospel. Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of life, came into our lives. He came as flesh and blood, coming into this broken world just like all of us as tiny, fragile baby. And as he lived life on this broken world, he faced all types of temptation and rejection and pain and suffering. Yet, God's heart was not divided. His heart continued to rest in God the Father. Even as he hung on that tree for the final time, on that Roman cross for the final time, he prayed, Father, into your hands I give my life. And at that moment, the great transaction had taken place. The great transaction that 1 John 4 talks about, that he became ransom for us, our sins for his righteousness, our shame for his glory, our death for his life. So friends, the Christmas season is not always warm and fuzzy like the scenes of the movies that we love. In fact, for many of us, it can be a painful reminder of how life is actually not how it should be. Some of us in this season are dealing with anxiety, depression, perhaps disappointments and regrets about 2022, last several years. You look back to this year, perhaps you're, you've experienced some dark, painful, even traumatic events. I, I know it because I, I, I sat down with you guys and I heard your stories and I've gone through my own dark places. I sat down with you and shared my dark places and my traumatic experiences. Or perhaps you've had a great year overall. You're the one person that made a lot of money this year. Your portfolio did great. I don't know how that's possible. Maybe you did. And professionally, in your marriage, things are going well. Things are great. Yet you still feel utterly empty inside. You, you know you should feel better because life is actually not bad. Life is actually going well. well you, but, but you take a moment to sit down and think about your life. You still have this loneliness or this fear or this emptiness. Or perhaps you are just too busy to reflect on how you are actually feeling. That's probably 90% of us living in Seoul. We just go, go, go until we can't go anymore. No matter how you are feeling or how you don't know how you are feeling, here's a wonderful reminder about the Christmas season. You see, the real message of Christmas is that though our old habits of living selfishly remains and life is not without pain and suffering, we can rest assured because all of our sin, all of our shame and pain are radically being eradicated by the transformative grace of Jesus. The baby in the manger reminds us that God is not done with us, 
that He is not done with you, He is not done with me. And that is truly worthy to be celebrated. Amen? God is not done with Let's Turn to each other. Say, God is not done with you. God is not done with you. That sounds like that's a depressing message, but that is, that is hopeful. God is not done with you. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for these passages of sobering reminder of how broken and sinful and wicked we are, all of us in this room. Even the nicest person in this room, even the most generous person in this room, our generosity, our, our kindness is nothing compared to you. It's like filthy rags, you say, Jesus. So in that reality, we see no other option but to come and run towards you, Jesus. Because, Jesus, you have shown us what love is. You've said it, First John chapter 4, this is love, not that we have loved God, but that, God, you have loved us. That you have given your one and precious begotten Son to come and die for us so that we may have life. May that truth, may that reminder move us this season, Lord. We thank you, we love you. Just in we pray. Amen.